Hi, this is Candy McNeil. Welcome to Open Minds, the radio show dedicated to reducing the stigma around mental illness. I'm with Siobhan today, who um, has agreed to talk about her struggle with um, mental health issues, and particularly with something called trichotillomania. Um, wonder if you could talk a little bit about what that is and um, what that struggle has been like in your life. Well, trichotillomania is a body-focused repetitive disorder, and what it is, it causes it's a compulsion and causes people to pull out their own hair. Me personally, I pull from my eyelashes and my eyebrows, but people pull from all different areas, particularly the scalp. And how long has that been going on in your life? I've had trichotillomania since I was around five years old. For most people, it starts in adolescence, around ages 11 to 13, but I've had it for much longer than that. And were you the first to realize that, or was it a parent or a teacher or someone else in your life? It was actually my mom who first noticed. I don't think I, I was never conscious of what I was doing, but she saw that I was missing eyelashes and eyebrows or she would catch me doing it. And so do you remember how she brought that up to you or, or what, if anything, she said to you about it when you were a little kid? I think her initial reaction was probably just confusion and frustration because it started off as this was just a bad habit. We didn't know why I was pulling my hair out. And it was just a sort of constant, oh, stop that, stop that. What are you doing? We didn't know. Back then, did it seem like there was any pattern to it, like times that you would do it or situations in which you would do it? Definitely. I've always been a big reader, so it would often happen when I was reading or just sitting watching a movie, doing homework, oftentimes where my mind is elsewhere and I wasn't thinking about it. And so it was first a concern to your mom before it was even a concern to you. You you were not very self-conscious about it, it sounds like, when you were back at five, which kind of makes sense. When did you become aware that it was a problem or when did it start to interfere with your life in some way? I became aware when, I guess, other people became aware that it was a thing that I did. You know, kids at school see things and they would point it out. And I never really thought it was an issue or, well, I liked it, obviously. It was a behavior that is comforting to me. And um, so I didn't think of it as really a terrible thing until other people pointed it out as that way. Actually, um, it reminds me a little bit of obsessive compulsive disorder in that way. Some people talk about how um, washing their hands, even when it's really repetitive, is really comforting or soothing to them. So they don't necessarily recognize it as being as big a problem as other people do. And like, why are you washing your hands for the ninth time in 20 minutes or something like that? Does it feel to you like there are some similarities? Definitely it does. I see the similarities with um, obsessive of compulsive disorder and I think there there might maybe some sort of connection there but also something that I feel is sort of exclusive to trichotillomania is that it had a really detrimental effect on the way I looked and the way I looked at myself and how I felt other people perceived me. Do you mean because of missing eyelashes or missing eyebrows? Definitely. As a kid it was hard to conceal. I mean you're running around playing you're not thinking about what you look like, but other people point it out and they see it. And so what was that like for you to to hear that? Did it make you feel like there was something wrong with you? It was hard. I definitely felt alienated by my peers as a kid because of it. 
even in grade school, I never felt comfortable with myself around other people. I've always been quiet and I definitely had close friends, but it was never something that I would bring up or talk about with them. Nobody really understood. Did you? I don't think I fully understood either. It was just sort of a thing that I did. And my perspective on it was that I needed to stop and I couldn't. And that's really hard for me. Yeah, of course. So did you seek treatment at any point? Um, yep. I think when I was fairly young, I saw a social worker for a little while or something along that line. And just to talk, she had never heard of trichotillomania. So that was never really helpful for me. But along the line later, I think in high school, I began seeing a psychologist uh, who specialized in trichotillomania. And we did about six months of cognitive behavioral therapy. And that was very helpful for me, just in realizing that I held sort of unhealthy and unrealistic expectations for myself in all areas of my life, as well as just expecting that I could magically stop pulling out my hair. <laughs> I think that is one of the great um, myths or stigmas that exists around mental health issues are that people could just stop it if they want to. You could just stop pulling your hair. Um, somebody could just stop over-exercising if they have an eating disorder. They could just stop laying in bed if they're depressed. And, um, and it isn't anywhere near that easy. Can you talk a little bit about that, like what it's like when both you expect that of yourself and whether or not you thought other people expected you to just be able to kind of knock it off. Yeah, that was hard, definitely, when I was a child. It took a, a toll on a, a, the relationship that I had with my family because neither of us understood that I couldn't just stop at that point. It was... um my, it strained the relationship, I think, with my mom for a long time because she would tell me to stop and that would make me angry. And it was just sort of this constant thing. But when we finally realized there, there came a point where we thought this isn't working. And then that's when we did the therapy. My mom actually sat in on the cognitive behavioral therapy with me and we sort of went through it together and we found that very helpful. Siobhan, what was that like? Like, was it, was it your choice to include your mom or was it hers or was it the psychologist's suggestion? Do you remember? I think it was sort of a group decision. I think probably the first time that I went in, we were just sort of new to the whole thing. So my mom just hung out and we found that it was a good format. We worked on it together. So, so what what does that look like um, in terms of her working on it? Because that's another thing that I think often we think the person who has the illness is the person who has to make changes um, or is the person who has to like get over it. But it is sometimes the people around you who make changes too. Um, do you remember at all what kinds of changes your mom made as a result of that process? Yeah, having her as a support changed over that period. Whereas she used to tell me, oh, stop doing that, stop doing that. It changed to maybe she would just grab my hand and, and hold it. And it was sort of a more loving thing. Um, so that was, it came from a more loving place than just stop. <laughs> so instead of that sort of, you know, mom's annoyed with you or irritated with you and, and trying to curb your behavior, instead she's concerned for you and she's trying in a loving way to help you with that. Yes, it definitely came from a place of understanding and we were going to work through it together. How did it happen that you found treatment? Do you know? 
I think my mom found this place on the internet, and since then we've been pretty active in um, Trichotillomania organizations, whether it was TLC, Trichotillomania Learning Center, which is based in the States, and the new CBSN in Canada, which I believe stands for Canadian Body-Focused Repetitive Disorder Support Network. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's quite a mouthful, huh? It really is. But that's a new one uh, here in Canada, and we've been sort of communicating with both of them for a, f- uh, a few years now. Um, this is a good time for me to mention that um, this is Candy McNeil, and you're listening to my radio show, Open Minds. And the topic today is trichotillomania. And those um, sites that you just mentioned, um, I will put links to those uh, on my website. And so if anyone is interested or struggles with this, um, perhaps they can go to those because those sound like great resources. Um, one thing I wanted to, to go back to just for a second is you talking about the sense of alienation as a little kid, kind of because nobody knew what was wrong. And then you go and you meet a psychologist who specializes in this, not just, you know, knows the name, but actually knows what to do. What was that like to talk to somebody who, um, who understood and who knew what was going on? Uh, it was a really great experience, actually. Um, but I don't think I ever really, it really hit me that there were other people that did struggle with this until a, a few years later, I actually went to re- a retreat in the States run by TLC where I got to meet like hundreds of other people who were suffering from trichotillomania, dermatillomania. And for me, that was just the most eye-opening experience of my entire life. In what way? What What did you come away knowing that you uh, didn't know before you went to the retreat? It was just this overwhelming sense of normalcy. <laughs> I, I felt like just one of all these people, and I had never felt like that before in, in this respect. Again, you know, one of the stigmas that I would love to see us bust about mental illness is that, you know, it's rare because it's not. When people talk about trichotillomania, when they talk about depression, when they talk about um, OCD, we're talking about millions of people who struggle. And I don't mean to make you self-conscious in any way or call attention, but but I wouldn't know looking at you that you struggle with trichotillomania. I hear when you were a kid, maybe it was a parent, but right now, that's not obvious. And I think that's the case lots of times that you walk right past somebody, you sit next to somebody in class, you're standing in line behind somebody at the store, and they struggle too, right? It's it's not like you're the only odd duck, you know, who has this problem. And, and what a neat experience for you to get to go and meet other people who struggle with the same thing. Yeah, it was just, it was amazing to see all these girls there. And like you said, just seeing them on the first day, it was lots of um, teenagers with their mothers and that. And it was like, I wouldn't know whether it was the teenager or their mother that was suffering from trichotillomania. You would never know just to look. And that's the case with so many illnesses. One of the areas um, that I specialize in is eating disorders. I, I deal with lots of mental health issues, but eating disorders. And there's very much an idea that um, you can tell by looking at somebody whether or not they have an eating disorder. And nothing could be further than the, from the truth. And I think a similar thing here, right? So someone could be sitting in class with you and have no idea that um, this has been a, a hardship in your life or a difficulty. Um, besides just the retreat, you did mention that there's a group on campus. You want to talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, I've been attending the support group here on campus for this past semester, and I think as far as I know, that's as long as it's been run. Um, but I found it to be really helpful and just a way that I can get out of my own head and sort of just sit down and talk with other people who really understand what's going on. Do you find um, you were talking about these really high or unreasonable expectations you had for yourself, um, including things like you should just be able to stop this or whatever. When you meet other people who struggle, do you think the same thing of them or do you kind of have like a double standard? Like you should be able to get over it, but you totally understand why they struggle. I definitely would never look at someone and just think, oh, they should just be able to get over it, which is in one way why I'm almost thankful that, um, I guess not thankful that I pull out my own hair, but thankful for the experience that it's given me and the perspective that I have now on that sort of thing. And I've heard other people say um, something similar, not necessarily that they would have asked for this, but that there are gifts that come from it um, in terms of increased understanding or compassion or uh, empathy for other people, um, acceptance. Um, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, which you mentioned, is sometimes about trying to correct distorted beliefs um, that you have about yourself, core beliefs. I'm not asking you to sort of go into it personally, like what your core beliefs were, but do you feel like the way you see yourself overall has changed as a result of doing that therapy? Yes, there is a major change after I finished CBT, I think. Just being able to look at my life and think, it's okay. I don't need to have perfect marks or I don't need to look perfect or be perfect. And it, uh, just laying out my thoughts logically like that and looking at them, it was, uh, I'm a different person. <laughs> so Siobhan, either before or after treatment, do you talk openly as you are right now about this experience in your life? Yeah. If someone were to ask, then definitely I would talk openly about it with them. Um, it's not something that I would just bring up in conversation since I'm not exactly that comfortable with it. But if someone wanted to know, then I would tell them what I know. Was there a time where that wasn't the case, where you would have kept it hidden away, even if someone asked? Oh, yeah. My closest friends, even for since childhood, I don't think I told them until at least I was in high school that this was something that I struggled with. I was very insecure about it. What were you insecure of in particular? What were you afraid was going to happen if you told people? I don't really know what I thought the consequences would be, but I know that I felt bad about myself because I thought I can't cope as well as other people. This is a coping mechanism for me, and I really thought that that made me worse as a person. I, again, have heard that so often that people think they are somehow weak if they need a, a coping strategy, um, as if everybody else copes, you know, quite well. Um, what what made you decide to tell people and how did you tell people and what kind of reactions did you get when you started to share? Uh, just becoming more and more comfortable with myself over the years, I think, is uh, led to me being able to talk about it. I don't know what exactly caused it, but I guess right now I'm more comfortable with it than I ever have been. Actually, a few months ago, uh, CBSN ran a campaign 
I think it's called Breaking the Stigma Around Trichotillomania, Dermatillomania, Body-Focused Repetitive Disorders. And I actually, I joined in the campaign and it was where you're to post on Facebook where I'm raising awareness about body-focused repetitive disorders because da-da-da-da-da and you give your own reason. And I got such a positive response from that. Everybody was so supportive and I probably got... Or, talked to around 10 people after that who said either they struggle with a body-focused repetitive disorder or they think it's a great thing, the campaign. And it was just, it was an amazing experience. That's awesome. How about back in high school when you started telling friends? Um, what kind of responses did you get from people then? It was all positive responses from my friends because, of course, I, I only told my closest friends and they were very open and accepting, even if they didn't fully understand my struggle or the condition. Of course, they were kind to me and accepting. And it's actually, it's not actually something that we really talk about now, but they know that it's part of my past and my present. Have you ever gotten a negative response from anyone when you've talked about it? I've never got a negative response uh, by explicitly telling somebody about it, probably because I was, I'm pretty selective with who I talk about it, uh, trichotillomania with, if I were to start the conversation. But I've definitely had people come up to me and say sort of insensitive things, especially when I was younger and I couldn't conceal it. Like, oh, what's wrong with you? Did you shave your eyebrows off? And it's definitely, yeah, there have been some bad experiences. Um, I'm wondering if it has been um, helpful to you personally or, or healing in any way to be open about it. Yes, for sure. The positive that I, response that I got from being open about trichotillomania has definitely contributed to that. And it's been good for my self-confidence, too. Was there a time where you felt um, ashamed about struggling with this? Oh, yeah. For the majority of the time that I have struggled, I would say that it was uh, detrimental to my self-confidence. But it's just recently that I'm sort of coming into my own about it, and it, it's been good. It came to the point where I was comfortable enough with it that it wasn't about me anymore. I want to talk about it because I think the only way that we're going to get anywhere with trichotillomania, that meaningful research is going to be done, is to talk about it. In terms of, you know, the group that you go to or like the campaign that you were part of, um, do you think that bringing awareness will make a difference in terms of individual people's struggles? I do think so. I, being in the dark is the scariest place, I think, in terms of body-focused repetitive disorders. You feel like you're the only one in the world that does this crazy weird thing. And if people know about it, then knowledge is power. There's We have the internet now. You can go find tons of other people who struggle with the same thing. And people are often so willing to share tips and tricks or what's worked for them. And everybody's different, but just knowing about it is the first step. Yeah. And so you're doing part of that today. Is there anything else that you would recommend for people who are listening and maybe going like, oh, like that's a problem for me? What what would you encourage them to do next? Yeah, I think if you suffer from a body focused repetitive disorder, my advice would be to reach out. That's what's worked so well for me. Find a support group. You can create a support group. There's even online support groups and just information everywhere. Get in contact if you think, uh, well, I think therapy is beneficial for everybody. It certainly was for me. Um, 
but just reaching out and maybe even telling a loved one about your struggle can be really helpful. Have there been other treatments along the way? Like, is this something that ever gets treated with medication, for example? Um, Or are there other things that you use like, I don't know, um, mindfulness or yoga or, you know, things like that that make a difference? Uh, I've personally never been on any medication for trichotillomania. I know that it is sometimes treated with antidepressants. In terms of other forms of treatment, I do try to keep an element of mindfulness. And for me, as sort of an introverted person, it's important It's important to take self-time um, just to sort of recharge and think about where I'm at and definitely a, a component of mindfulness. How do you think of um, something like trichotillomania? To you, is that is it an illness? Is it a condition? Is it... Um, as far as you have read about it, does it seem to be genetics? Does it seem to be environment? What are your thoughts about that? I guess I would think of trichotillomania as an illness. I don't see, I see it being a part of my life for the rest of my life. I think it's something I'll always struggle with. And I do think that there is a genetic component to it as well as environmental. But um, just looking back up, on my family, I think um, that there might be some sort of genetic inheritance. And so when you say you think this will be with you for life, um, what does that mean? Like, does it mean managing day to day? Does it mean that you think there will be periods of remission followed by periods where you relapse and the symptoms get stronger? Do you think there will be kind of like a steady decline or progression of your symptoms over your lifetime? For me, uh, I definitely just see it as sort of managing day to day. Over my lifetime, the condition has gotten worse. It's at its worst for me right now as it has ever been. Um, And I don't really see any great periods of remission. I know some people do. They sort of slip in and out of it, but that hasn't been my experience. I just want to um, reflect back something as you're talking. On one hand, you say um, the symptoms and the illness is as bad for you right now as it has ever been. And earlier you said, you know, you're as comfortable um, with it and um, feeling better about yourself. And I wonder how you reconcile those two things. Yeah, it's funny how it's worked out like that. Um, I think probably the reason that the condition is at its worst right now is just sort of being in the stressful environment of university and also not having my sort of family support group around me is has led to that. But I'm also at a point now where I'm comfortable with it. And maybe that's why I let myself keep doing it. It's I guess I don't really mind anymore. I love that idea. Again, I, I think there is a stigma that says that if you have a mental illness, you're probably deeply unhappy and your day-to-day life is miserable and you won't be successful. And But you're saying like you're a university student, um, you have a, a good relationship with your mom, right? Like it, it doesn't sound like having this even actively in your life has meant you're um, miserable or really um, distraught in some way. Not for a long time, no. And I, and so I think also really challenging that idea that someone who has a mental illness must be unhappy, either deeply unhappy 
as a root or unhappy in their day-to-day life. Um, I love that idea that that doesn't have to be the case and that you can live with it in the same way you might if you lived with diabetes or if you lived with, um, I don't know, an, another illness that, you know, had an impact on your day-to-day life but uh, didn't interfere with it. Yeah, for sure. For me now, it's just a thing that I do, a thing that I deal with, and that's pretty much it. Do you feel like or do you fear that there's any way it's going to hold you back in your life in terms of relationships, careers, things like that? No, I don't think uh, trichotillomania will ever hold me back. At this point, I've really learned to manage it and hide it, I guess, with makeup techniques and that. Uh, and I think that it's actually sort of put me ahead of where I would be in life if I didn't have trichotillomania. I've definitely got a different perspective. So maybe it's, maybe it's put you ahead in terms of like sooner than some people would, you get to a place of self-acceptance or you get to a place of empathy for other people or, or self-compassion as opposed to continuing to be really hard on yourself and maybe hard on other people as, as, um, we sometimes can be when we're young. Yeah, I think that trichotillomania has definitely allowed me to sort of cultivate a better sense of empathy for other people. And I see that everybody has their own struggle. This is my struggle, but um, I've definitely learned to be sensitive to other people's troubles or from dealing with my own. So in addition to all the stuff that you've mentioned already, do you feel like there's anything else that you wish people knew either about trichotillomania or about mental health and mental illness in general? I think that there are a few major misconceptions about trichotillomania, actually. People think that it's a form of self-harm, which I just wanted to clarify. Um, Trichotillomania is not a form of self-harm. And it's also sometimes included... um, People like to think that trichotillomania is synonymous with obsessive compulsive disorder, which, of course, there are cases of comorbidity, but trichotillomania is not the same thing as obsessive compulsive disorder. Those are two very important clarifications. Um, You mentioned comorbidity, um, which just means for people who don't know that you can have a couple of things going on at the same time. And you're absolutely right um, that trichotillomania is not the same as OCD. There might be some similarities in the way they play out, um, but, but also some important differences. And that distinction you make between trichotillomania and self-harm is an important one. This applies to um, the dermatillomania as well. People will think that because, you know, you're bleeding, um, that was the intention. But it really as you mentioned earlier, it can be actually a form of comforting or soothing, right? Um, or something that you do when you're not even really paying attention, watching a movie, reading a book, studying, something like that, as opposed to something intentional that's meant to distract you from um, pain or, you know, to bring your attention to the pain on your, your arm where you've just cut um, instead of the pain in your mind, right? So again, some very important distinctions with that. Do you think there's any other um, myths or misconceptions that exist that um, that you've learned about even, you know, that you didn't know early on when you were struggling with this? Well, I think a major misconception about trichotillomania is that it's rare. I think that so many more people suffer from trich than even the estimates are saying. Um, it's People don't talk about it because, you know, it's sort of... It, 
embar- you would call it embarrassing, right? It's not talked about. So I don't think we have the real statistics on how many people suffer. That's such a great point. And um, it is true sometimes also that people will honestly think they don't have it. They'll think they're just quirky or odd or that they have this habit like like your family thought when you were little um, and not realize like, no, this isn't just like the occasional, um, you know, playing with your hair and you pull a few of them. It really has gone beyond that. So some people who probably do suffer would not recognize that in themselves and then not report it. And so we wouldn't have those numbers. So I agree with you. It probably is more prevalent than, than you think, than people think for sure. I want to thank you so much for being willing to share your story and to talk about this. I think, um, I hope that somebody who's listening will be like, wow, I relate and I get that. And that for them, that will be like, I'm not alone. I don't feel isolated with this. So thank you for being so willing to do that. Oh, that's definitely my goal as well. And thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, I am going to leave it there for today. Again, my guest today has been Siobhan, and we've been talking about trichotillomania. And if you want more information, uh, you can go to my website at whatseatingyou.com, and you will see a link there to the radio show. You can also um, email me through openminds at cfru.ca um, and give me any feedback, positive or constructive criticism about this or comments or suggestions for future shows. Please remember, though, that I'm not available to respond to direct requests around your own mental health. For that, I want to encourage you to put aside your fear of stigma and go to your doctor or um, the emergency room or local crisis line or, um, Siobhan, as you had suggested, maybe to um, tell a loved one and just see if you can get some support that way. Thanks so much for listening and join me again next week for Open Minds.